He overcame the crux, providing a new and living way. Does anybody know what a crux is? Yeah, I figured it would go like that. Um, a crux is, it's a term that's used in climbing. So when I preach, I like to, you know, I just like to take things from my personal life and bring it to you guys because of the things that I relate to and relate it into spiritual realities. Are y'all cool with that? But this is actually a real word. Um, it means crux. It means the most important part of something such as a problem, issue, puzzle, etc. So in climbing, it's when you're climbing a face of a wall, it's the hardest part of the climb. Did anybody see there is a documentary recently called Free Solo? Did anybody see that? Yeah, okay, we got one hand, a couple hands. So there's this climber, and his name is Alex Honnold, and he, he free solos, which means he climbs without a rope. Crazy, right? And incredibly dangerous. Um, but he's just very focused, very concentrated climber, very calculated. And he, for years, he sees this uh, face of El, uh, El Capitan in the Yosemite Valley. And he's like, I want to climb that, which is a 3,000-foot face. And he's like, I'm going to climb that without a rope. Like, that's my dream. And so if you've seen the documentary, there's a part of the climb they call the boulder problem. And this is like the most intense, focused, most concentrated moves that he has to do where he's like, he's on these little pieces of rock and he's having to do like this karate kick to this wall and do this crazy move and it's without a rope. And so it's a lot of focus, but that would be considered the crux of the climb, you understand? So the crux is like, it's the most dangerous, but it's the hardest. And if you can overcome the crux, you're sailing after that. Your confidence is up and you're, you feel pretty good after you overcome the crux. So what do I mean by he overcame the crux? See, the ultimate crux in life was our separation from God. The ultimate crux in our lives was the condition of our hearts. The ultimate crux in our life was this nature on the inside of us that was dominated by sin that reigned through Adam. That was the ultimate crux. And when Jesus was climbing the face of his ministry, he had to have intense focus. He had to have intense concentration to go to the cross. I mean, Jesus was so focused on this climb that he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, could you imagine being so focused that you're sweating blood? He, this was his crux. This was his, his problem. This was his puzzle. This was his issue, was to overcome this. And he overcame the crux. And he overcame death. And he, and he laid on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why did he say that? Because Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So why he cried that was because literally when Jesus took on our condition, took on our fallen nature, when he took on, when he took on that, he literally 
became separated from his father for the very first time. I mean, I hear him saying that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like, it's, visually, it's like, I, I just hear that, and it's like, it echoes through eternity because of the significance of what he's saying. And even furthermore, he says, before he bowed his head and he commended his spirit to God, what did he say? It is finished. And those words echoed through eternity, and those words echoed through time. See, Israel had this cry for a Savior, just like us. If, to sum up like the entire Old Testament, it's they follow God, they didn't follow God. They followed God, they didn't follow God. They followed God, they didn't follow God. That's the story. That's Israel's story. And you're like, what's your problem? You think you'd get it right? You know, they'd mess it up. Oh, give them some new laws. We know that doesn't work here. <laughs> if it don't work here, it especially doesn't work in the kingdom. Laws will never change the heart of people. They won't. They would, they would mess up, and they would add more laws, and they would add more laws, and they would add more laws. And the laws that were meant to, to, to help facilitate and keep people into a, a relationship with God were tainted and perverted by sin, leading people into control and manipulation and all these other things that it was never intended to be. And so we see the downward spiral. And that's not just Israel's story. That's our story. It's the human condition that is, that is, that is faulted from its, from its existence. But that was never God's plan. That was never God's intention. And you're going to see that. And I got some good news for you. So Ephesians 2.1, and we just, this year we've been feeling like Ephesians, 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 Ephesians. So if you're on track with where we're going this year, like get in Ephesians. Let this word become alive on the inside of you. Like, and you read it, you ought to read it, not just as you're reading a textbook, but these words, these words, they, they got to come alive on the inside of us. And so it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you all know what the word and is? It's a conjunction. It's a conjunction, junction. What's your function? Who knows that song? Yeah. It's a conjunction. So that means that it's adding on to something that's previous, correct? Okay. So Paul's tone to the believers in Ephesus. So I'm going to give you just a quick, a really quick review of Ephesians 1. You ready? Okay, here we go. So Ephesians 1.3 says, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Everything you need, it's past tense, it's already been given to you. That's what Ephesians 1.3 says. Ephesians 1.4, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Wrap your mind around that one. <laughs> Ephesians 1.5, you have been adopted into God's family. Ephesians 1.6, you have been accepted in God's beloved. You know, if you're born again, you are completely accepted into the family. Amen. No more rejection. No more rejection ruling over your life. When God says he accepts you, it don't matter what anybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what anybody else rejects you. I'm accepted and God's beloved. 
Ephesians 1, 7, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. That means that you were held hostage, just like I was talking about. That, that faulted and that condition, you were held hostage. You were held hostage to that by, by, by sin reigning through, through Adam. And I mean like Adam in the garden. I don't mean like Adam back there. So, <laughs> Just so that's clear, so y'all know. That was the first time I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Back on track. I love you, Courtney. I love you too, man. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Ephesians 1.8, you have been lavished with all wisdom and insight. I can't wrap my mind, my mind around that one. That's crazy. Um, Ephesians 1.11, you have obtained an inheritance. You know you have an inheritance. Amen. That is amazing. It has everything provided and what you need, and it's been given to you. But it's like if somebody gives you a car and you don't ever, you don't ever take the keys, you don't ever put it in, it's just, it's just a car. It's just there. You got to do something with it. You got to take ownership of it. Ephesians 1.13. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That word sealed, it means vacuum packed. Sin can't get into your spirit. You're born again spirit. It's just like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit as you read just a little bit later on that raised Jesus from the dead. You're sealed with that. It's your, it says, it even furthers, further on says, it's your guarantee. That Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, being deposited on the inside of you, it's your guarantee. Don't let anybody scare you away whether you're saved or not. If you got the living Spirit of God on the inside of you, you're sealed with the guarantee. It's a promise. And when God makes a promise, he don't break it. Amen. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And I preached on this about a month ago. And it's the eyes of our hearts being enlightened to know our calling, our inheritance, and the power. The power that's on the inside of us that raised Christ from the dead. The power that's on the inside of us that seated Christ at the right hand of God. So that's the tone of Paul, right? So now you understand, like, that, that chapter is so full of life. All you need, you could just live on Ephesians 1. And so going into Ephesians 2, where we started, and it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Because it's like, it kind of takes a turn, right? It's like, okay, all this great stuff, and hey, I thought I'd just remind you, you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Like, you didn't do anything, like, to earn this. This is a gift. This is a gift for you. So I, um, so I looked up the word dead, and this is the universal way that it's implied. This is out of Thayer's Greek lexicon, and it's destitute of force or power and active and operative. So remember, when we're talking about death, we're talking spiritual death, right? We're not talking physical. We're talking, we're talking about spiritual things. So I, I, I wrote down a few other definitions from Webster that I thought would, would apply. It says, lacking power to move, feel, or respond. See, when you're you were, when you were dead, you had you were incapable of being able to move spiritually. You were incapable to feel with God. Another definition: incapable of being stirred emotionally or intellectually. That born again, that spirit on the inside of you, it, it's what. It's what makes you alive and, 
and stirs this connection with God at, a, at an emotional response. You know, we're, we're too quick to, to judge and be critical of people who don't know Him. But if, if, if they're dead, they don't have the capacity. And I, what we ought to do is we ought to, it says, it's, it is the, it's the goodness of God. Romans 2, 4, that brings men unto repentance. To change the way they think about God. To change the way that they think about people. It's the goodness of God. Instead of beating people up for the way they're living, we ought to be the most loving. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying you're a doormat and you just let people walk all over you, but we ought to demonstrate the love of Christ from the inside of us. Another definition, grown cold, extinguished, dead coals. You know, that, that, the heart, that, that heart element that's changed, that Ezekiel and Ezekiel prophesied that we would give, be given a new heart, not of stone, but a, but a heart that's after God. Barren and fertile, dead soil. You can't produce fruit without this. You can't produce God fruit without the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. The fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, you know, um, I forget, love, you know, all those things. <laughs> all those things. Not running or circulating, stagnant. Without God in your life, just stagnant. Just the water just sitting there. It has all the, all the capabilities to give life, but it's sitting there and it becomes a poison, something that you can't drink from. Mechanically engineering, not imparting motion or power, although otherwise functioning. <laughs> See, you can function in life without the Spirit of God but you're not imparting motion or power. So, spiritually dead. So let's go to verse 2. Ephesians 2, verse 2. So I put, how a spiritually dead person lives. And I got good stuff coming, okay? Got some good stuff coming, all right? But we're just building a foundation to remembering where we came from, to give an appreciation of where we are, Amen. right? Sometimes we forget where we came from. Sometimes we, we overlook the, the, the wonderful price that was paid for our salvation, the wonderful price that, that God went through to, to overcome that crux to, to give us a new life. And it says in verse 2, in which you once walked according to, to the course of this world. There's a whole message there. <laughs> if you're following just the course of this world, you're living like a dead person. You're living like a zombie. <laughs> uh. <laughs> According to the prince of the power of the air, People can really make some weird doctrine out of that. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Man, we need Jesus. Amen. We need a Savior. We need God to do something on the inside of us. And he has when we, when we believed. So Ephesians uh, 2.4. But God, say but God. but God. Here we go. We're getting there. 
who is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Romans 5, 8 says it like this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is not a thing that you can do to earn salvation. It is a gift. And, I, you know, I could have gone further along Ephesians. Um, I, I could go, I'm only going to go to Ephesians 2, 5. I could go further on, but for the sake of time. Um, have, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the script, this scripture? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Has anybody ever heard that? Most likely, if you've heard that, I'm going to like cut the head off of some tradition. Most of the time, that scripture is quoted, that's, that's Isaiah 55, 8 through verse 9. Most of the time, that verse is quoted, it's quoted when tragedy happens. Am I correct? And it's to say, we don't understand why this is happening. We don't understand why this person has this sickness. We don't understand why this accident happened. We don't understand why my, why my kids are running away. We don't understand these things. As, as to say, you know, God is in control of everything, and he just knows things that we don't know. And, you know, it's just we'll just... Just leave it up to him. That's not a proper interpretation of what this verse is saying. This, the context of this verse is saying, if you read the previous verses, it's talking about mercy. It's talking about God gives mercy to people unlike we give mercy to people. God pardons people unlike the way that we quickly forgive people. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, according to the old us. But now we can say, as a new creation, that old things are passed away and all things have become new, that that is who we are. That we give mercy like He gives mercy. We pardon people like He pardons people. Unconditional love. No strings attached. No conditions. That good? Amen. It ain't, it's not that baloney. It's his mercy is so good you're not gonna understand it. As someone would say, his grace is scandalous. He gives to those who don't deserve it because he's good. I mean, that just, that just destroys any kind of self-righteousness that we could have. Self-righteousness is it's a blockage from us experiencing the kingdom. As long as we're just like Adam, we're, we're at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, justifying our actions by our own definition justifying what good and evil is through our own knowledge, self-righteousness. It's according to God's word. It's according to who he is. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead, there we go again, in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And further on it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. God provided it. Our job is, with faith, is to grab a hold of it, to take hold of the promise. Without our part of faith, we will not experience what God has provided. By grace, God has provided everything. And so this word alive is actually, um, if you're reading KJV, would be quicken. 
And this word, it means to make alive, revive. The archaic definition is to kindle, to cause, to burn more intensely. See, when you come alive in God, he, when you become aware of his presence and you become aware of him, he breathes on the coals of your spirit to bring out what is true on the inside of you. And this definition says, quicken stresses a sudden renewal of life. How many people, when you said yes to Jesus, you had a sudden renewal of life? You know, you didn't see anything. There was nothing physical. But we heard the simplicity of the gospel, that if we believe, that we would be saved, that we would be seated with Him, that we would have a new life, a life free from us, a life free from ourselves. And you know, it's no easier today, wherever you are in your walk, whether you're 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, the process is still the same. It is. No matter... All the, prom- all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. Amen. And just like any other promise, you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't hear it, you can't acquire it with any of your physical senses. But you believed I I believe God at His Word. we got to believe God at His Word. That when He says that we're alive, we're alive. We're not dead in our trespasses anymore. If you've said yes to Jesus, you're alive on the inside. You're just as alive as Jesus is. It says in 1 John 4.17 that as He is, so are we in this world. Greater is he who lives in me than he that lives in the world. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, family, you're alive. Quicken stresses a sudden renewal of life or activity, especially in something inert. Does anyone know what inert means? I didn't know what that means. One of the defin- or one of the synonyms was dormant or sleeping. You have we have we have a giant on the inside of us. You know, there's no it says in Romans 12 that there is the measure of faith. I think that's Romans 12:4. It's the measure of faith. There's not different levels of faith. It's the measure of faith. It's the faith of the Son of God. Like in Western culture, we think that we have to have these higher levels and degrees of faith. I just got to grow my faith. You have the faith of Christ. You don't need to reach some level. I mean, what level did you reach when you got born again? Where was your faith then? It's like a mustard seed, right? (laughs) Just like he said, as small as a mustard seed. And we we complicate it when when the promise is right in front of us. And God is saying, it's available. Life, life, life. It's available to us. Just touch out and grab it. Dormant or sleeping. We got to wake up. We can't be dormant Christians. And this isn't like a, a call to like go, go run out there and evangelize, evangelize the world, but it starts with you looking in the mirror. If you can't see yourself the way that God sees you, you'll, we will remain dormant. We'll remain sleeping. When I'm telling you, that God has better plans than you have for yourself. 
He, he knows you better than you know you. He's got every hair numbered on your head. Some small, some more. <laughs> we are no longer, and this is where I'm going, I'm going to go to Romans 7. We are no longer a Romans 7 man or woman. If you're familiar, I'm going to get ready to read a few passages out of Romans 7. But essentially, the setup for Romans 7, and a lot of people use this as a justification for for sin in their life or justification for just continuing in the same problems and sin habits. And basically, Paul says, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do, you know, the things I don't want to do, I always end up doing, and it's, this, and it's this dilemma, right, that we can all recognize in our own lives, and it's really what Paul is, is communicating is he's communicating my old man, my old condition, my old heart. He's not commu- communicating the new him in Christ. He's not communicating the new creation, right? Y'all get that? So Romans 7.15, and we're going to read to verse 20. Romans 7.15, this is uh, in the Passion Translation, and it says, I just like the way that it communicates uh, this message. It says, I'm a mystery to myself for what, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realize that it's no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good lives lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. Verse 20, so if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. See, the legalist would like to say, Ah, it's just, that's just me. It's just who we are. Just sinners saved by grace. The gospel doesn't preach that. The gospel says that if we were sinners, but now we're made alive in Christ. Right? We were sinners, but now we're the righteousness of God. That we're in right standing with God, with God the Father, Because of what Jesus has done. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's called the great exchange. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's what we have to believe about ourselves because until we believe what God says is true about us, will continue living like a Roman 7 man. Saying the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I just end up doing. I mean, I, I, I'm not beating up on you. I, we're all there. We've, we've all experienced a part of that aspect in our lives, but that's where Romans 12.2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right? That don't automatically come when you get saved. Trust me, it doesn't. (laughs) You know, it's a process. It's a journey that we walk through. But that's what we want to be. That's what we want to disciple people in. We want to disciple, you know, with with me as the youth pastor. When I was 15, I was crazy. I was wild. And I got saved when I was 14 a year previous to my craziness 
But nobody ever told me who I was. Nobody ever told me I was the righteousness of God. Nobody ever told me who I was in the Spirit. So what did I do? I, I, I lived out as I was trying to discover myself. And because I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what the Word said, I just followed the course of this world, followed my friends, listened to what, who they told me I was. So we're not the Romans 7 man. And I quickly want to just read Romans 8 just to kind of give you a scope. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed something. So Romans 7, 24. So this is where he went from all those things I just said. Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If you're living out of your flesh, you'll always fall into a sin trap every time. Verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God according to to the inward man. He said, I delight in it according to the inward man. But listen, this law, this law of God, most people automatically go to, they think of the Ten Commandments. They think of the Mosaic Law. That's not what it is. It's not the Mosaic Law. It's not the Ten Commandments. This word is the same word that I used back when I preached a month ago about looking into the perfect law of liberty, being God's word, looking into that law. It's like the law of gravity. It's a law that's in action. It's not the Ten Commandments. Paul is not saying, I delight in the Ten Commandments. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I delight in this. This is the definition for this law. The impulse to right action emanating from the Spirit. You ought to have it so real on the inside of us that it emanates from you effortlessly. It's, it, if you're trying to work up uh, to, to live godly in your own strength, you ain't going to do it. You're going to be just like the Roman 7 man. Say, I ain't the Roman 7 man. That man could go take a walk. Take a hike. Get out of here. <laughs> so Jesus overcame the crux that had power over you. I kind of skipped over. So Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Amen. Free. Free from condemnation free from this guilt, free from this. Not saying that you shouldn't feel guilty when you do wrong. I'm saying that it says that in Romans and in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that he is no longer holding our sins against us. So with God, you straight, you good. But with people, it might, it, it messes up and destroys relationship. But between you and God, you're good. He loves you. He sees you according, he relates to you according to your new nature, according to the spirit of Christ within you. Amen. That's good news. So Jesus overcame the crux that had power over you. When Jesus climbed that climb, he overcame this condition. He overcame the Roman seven man. That said, I do, I, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Jesus overcame that. And so I'm here to tell you that there is a new and living way for your life. That you don't have to be in bondage anymore. That sin doesn't have to have dominion over you. That you don't have to be frustrated and keep trying and trying and trying. You know, there's people, and, I, and, I, and I've 
my dad's, my dad's here. Um, but we saw in my family, the law was, it, you can try to live up to the law as much as you can. And, you know, it says in, I think it's Romans 15, that the law produces death. And you can try to live up to it, and you can try to follow the standards, but as long as you're doing, doing it out of the fallen, out of a place thinking that you're the old you, you're going to fall. And you're going to be spiraling just like Israel, who followed God, they didn't follow God. Followed God, didn't follow God. Followed God, didn't follow God. We're not meant to be roller coaster Christians. And when you know your identity, you ain't going to be a roller coaster Christian. You're going to be, you're just going to keep climbing, keep climbing, keep climbing. So Hebrews 10, I've been wanting to preach this verse for like six or seven years because it's so good. And so Hebrews 10, verse 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This comes from Jeremiah 31, 33. And this is a prophecy that was given through Jeremiah of the new covenant being established. Do you know that that God... (laughs) He don't even remember your sins no more. Amen. <laughs> They're done away with. Jesus took, took them on himself and dealt with it. Verse 18, Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh. By a new and living way. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, family, there's a new and living way for each of our lives. And it comes through this, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. There was this veil, if you don't know, in the Old Testament, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and it was the holiest of holiest places, and only one person could go in there in an entire year in the nation of Israel. It was the high priest. The high priest could only go in there one time of the year. It was called the Day of Atonement. And what he would do is he would cleanse the nation for the, for the whole entire past year. He's, you know... You bring your bucket, you bring your bucket of all your faults, of all your failures, of all your, all your stuff that's just been eating away at you and just been just eating at you. And you just, it would be a time where you just throw all that, okay, everybody bring your buckets. Okay, we're going to bring the sin bucket uh, fest, all right? <laughs> You're going to bring all your stuff, right? And they would find a lamb. And this lamb had to be spotless. This, this lamb had to have no blemish. This lamb had to be perfect. And so I've never looked through a lamb, but I'm sure it was a process. You're going through the fur, looking for no spot, no blemish. And if they found the right one, that would be the, that would be the lamb that would be offered for the nation of Israel in exchange a life given for a life. But no longer. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So God has sprinkled us. Our hearts and our minds have been sprinkled by the love of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. He has torn away the veil, the thing that was separating us, the thing that was producing death. 
God is giving us a new and living way. So I'm going to end with this. So what does a new and living way look like for you? What does it look like you for to be alive in him? What, is it, what does it look like for us to grab a hold of his truth? Is it freedom from that nagging sin habit? Is it freedom from fear? Freedom from depression? Freedom from the lack of vision and purpose? Freedom from doubt? So my conclusion is this. Own the gospel of grace in your life. Own it. Own it, family. Don't just listen to what people have to say. You got to find this out for yourself. You got to discover it. You got to dig for it. You know, in my life, when I heard the good news about who I was in Christ, I didn't just say, okay, that's what he says. I'm good. I, I, had to, I had to find out if this was true. I had to dig. I, had to, I, would, I would write it. I would meditate on it. I would, I would fill my heart with His truth and with His Word. You have to own it. You got to own it. If you want it to be real on the inside of us to where it's something that can be felt and something that can be experienced, own it. You can own it. You can do it. You can own it. Be still and aware of Christ in you. Just stop. 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 We're all so busy in our lives. And we always got things churned on. And I'm not saying this condemn you. I, I'm, I'm right there. I understand. But turn off the TV before you go to bed. You know, be, take times, not as a law, but to be still and aware. You know, right before you go to sleep, your brain slows down. This is a science thing. And your brain goes in, into what's called the alpha state. And what happens when your brain slows down, is it allows what's in your heart to emerge. And we're scared of that. We're scared of what will emerge in feelings and emotions. But we got to deal with our stuff. We got to deal with it. We got to make room for Christ in our life, make room for His Spirit to want to do what it's got to do. And, in court, and for that to happen, we have to we have to rest and we have to take moments in our life to be still. And say, Christ is in me. And I'll end with this final thought. Make a practice of casting your cares <laughs> upon him. Make it a practice. I mean, daily. Because there is enough stuff in this world. And if you don't, Cast those cares. You don't cast those worries. You don't cast those things. It just might be busyness or, or whatever it is, worry and fear. And, or you might look at your bank account and go, oh, no. <laughs> Make it a practice of casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. I'm telling you, church, don't let this stuff build up in your life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you as, as a friend, don't let this stuff build up in your life. You deserve better than that. Amen. You deserve better than to have something just eat away at you. I'm telling you, the presence of God is so sweet. I'm telling you, it's so wonderful. I'm telling you, if you give him the time of day, he'll do better than what you could ever think or imagine. It's not just a preacher talking. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. Amen. We got to believe it. We got to trust in it. We got to grab a hold to it. We got to cling to it. It'll satisfy like nothing else in this world. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I'd rather, I'd rather start that journey now. 
I'd rather start that journey now until, and, and wait until the day I pass and go with him and say, you kidding me? I missed all that? I, mean, I missed this life? He said it was there all along. And I was trying to give it to you every single moment of every day. God is whispering his life. He wants to heal every hurt. He wants to heal every pain, every deep area of your heart. He wants to invade it with his light. You can trust him with it, I'm telling you. You can trust, you can trust him with it. Amen. Jesus went about bringing those who were in captive out of bondage, and that's his, that's his, that's his mission for us today. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. Even though you don't see him physically, his spirit is, he said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. I'm telling you, Jesus said that. He said, it's better that I go. Do we believe that? Not always, but it's the truth. Amen. So God, we just thank you. We thank you for this new and living way, God, and we just, uh, God, we just set our hearts We just breathe, God. We just are satisfied with your, with your presence, with who you are. God, and we just thank you. We just invite you into our lives. We just invite you into our thoughts right now, wherever our thoughts are going. Cheeseburger, uh, chicken fingers. God, we just... Remove the distractions for a moment. God, and we just let you just invade our hearts with your love. Let him love you. I'm telling you, let him love you. Let him love you. We thank you for that. And if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, and you're saying, you know, I, I, I don't, if you're watching online and you're, or you're here, you don't have to be, I have good news for you, you don't have to be separated from God ever. That you can be alive and you can experience the life that he has come to give. And it just simply comes by saying, I put my trust and I put my faith in what you did for me that you took my sin upon the cross. You died the death that I deserved. And you paid it for me. You paid it all for me. One drop of your blood was enough to wash the sins of the entire world. You just didn't kind of do it. You did it abundantly, overflowing, and above. And so I just received that. I received that truth. And God, we just give you praise we give you glory. We give you honor for you are a good God who is worth following and worth giving our lives and giving our every being to. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God.